The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business. Greetings of the day, my fellow listeners, and welcome to another edition of Building Better Businesses. I am your host, Steve Eschbach. Uh, one of the businesses that I run is what you see in the background, Transworld Business Advisors. I own a franchise here in the uh, Naperville, Illinois area, just outside of Chicago. My primary role is to assist business owners confidentially sell and match them up with qualified buyers. Other things we do as well is uh, franchise sales and franchise development. Uh, Transworld, by the way, is the largest business brokerage in the world, and we are also the fastest growing. As part of this Building Better Business series, I've invited guests that are going to help you, our listeners, learn more about how you can build a better business. And I'm delighted to have Stacy Brown Randall with me today. And all I have to do is read like from her front page of her website and listen to this. And I am totally impressed. I teach small business owners, solopreneurs, and sales professionals how to generate referrals without asking, without manipulation, or feeling inauthentic. That is a very powerful statement, Stacy. And uh, well, first of all, thank you for joining me here today and sharing your insights with our audience. And let's uh, learn a little bit more about who you are today and uh, maybe some support behind that statement I just read to the audience. That sounds great. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell me how you're able to, well, tell me about your company right now, or is it you as a solo consultant? How is your business operation running? Yes. So I am actually a solopreneur. I learned early on in my corporate America days that I don't play too well in the sandbox. So running my own business was definitely the right move for me. And I choose to be a solopreneur, but let's be honest, I do not do anything alone. I have an army of folks that help me that they may just be hired by me versus not on a W-2 with me, but I have a team of professionals. I have an army of people who support me in running my business. So you demonstrate the point that you can't go it alone and there are subject matter experts that do some things that you don't do well, uh, that you can do better and, and help them. But let's do this. Let's go down memory lane. We're going to rewind the videotape. We're going to go back to Stacy's uh, childhood and upbringing. You had mentioned that you were in corporate America, like many entrepreneurs. You've had a stint in corporate America and you've chosen to move on. But before we even do that, let's learn a little bit more about your background. So where were you born? Where were you raised? What kind of influence did you have from mom, dad and other family members? Yes, you know, it's, it's actually not that unusual that I ended up being an entrepreneur because I actually come from a family of entrepreneurs. So I was born and raised in Greenville, South Carolina, except for the three years, the three-year adventure we had when my parents moved my brother and I to Boulder, Colorado. Still, some of my favorite childhood memories come from being out in Colorado. And I literally would spend, you know, sitting around the Thanksgiving table, the Christmas, you know, holiday meal table, and would listen and hear the stories of my other family members that were entrepreneurs and that were business owners. Now, they were the crazy kind. 
And I can say that because I know intimately that the world that they were in is crazy, but they, most of them all owned restaurants or they were in the hospitality field. So they're crazy. And I can say that because I am the granddaughter, the sister, the niece, and the wife of former or current business owners. So I have a lot of restaurants, right? A lot of restaurants in my world. And I actually grew up one of my earliest nicknames was Moti Girl. And if you actually say that and pronounce it correctly, it's may I have some more tea. And I would go around at my grandmother's restaurants and I would pour tea and coffee at starting at 10 years old when I was younger. And my brother and I worked there all the way up through high school and he did college as well. But it definitely that that hard work ethic, that physical work ethic that comes through being the, for me, the granddaughter of a business of a restaurant owner um, was definitely a big influence. My father was actually an author as oh. well. So I'm not surprised that I have a book written that's been published that I'm actually working on my second now. And so my father was an author as I was growing up too. He's actually, a, um, he did sales and then my mom was very successful in sales. So my dad got to stay at home and he was actually a stay at home dad in the eighties which never happens, right? Actually, it's probably later 80s. But he was a stay-at-home dad, and he was an author, and he wrote books. And he wrote fiction. I do not write fiction. I write business books. But uh, And so that was really a lot of my influence. I was surrounded by books and reading and by a lot of folks who worked really, really hard in an industry I knew I wanted nothing to do with when I got older because I had seen it all. And then, of course, I marry a man who decides he wants a restaurant. So that's a little bit of our memory lane. So I crack a smile because, believe it or not, there are many similarities to your background and mine. Number one, I lived in Colorado, too, but I lived in Littleton. And some of my best memories were bringing up my kids in the uh, late 1990s, early 2000s. So that's one. Number two, uh, I'm a published author and I'm working on my second book, too, which is what you're doing. I had a corporate background like you did, and uh, I eventually became a business owner. Uh, many times over, as a matter of fact. But uh, before we get into your corporate career and where you are today, so you were surrounded by entrepreneurs in your family. So there was a strong influence there. But nevertheless, you went through high school, probably to college and got a corporate job. So what was your favorite subject in high school? What did you major in in college? And then tell me about your first corporate stop. Yeah, you know, my I guess I would say my favorite subject in high school was actually being on the speech and debate team. I loved being on, I loved the teacher, uh, Ms. McAllister, who was the speech and debate. I think I did speech and debate at least, I don't know if I did it all four years of high school, but as soon as I could be on the team, I was on it. I actually, though, did dramatic interpretation. Most people were like, oh, you probably definitely did the debate piece. And I'm like, actually, no, I did the speech piece, which is more theater. I was in a theater a lot when I was younger doing children's theater when I was growing up. So speech and debate was probably my favorite topic, my favorite subject. Um, I majored in broadcast journalism at the University of South Carolina. I thought I was going to be the next Katie Couric. Turns out once I did an internship one summer at a television station, I was like, I do not want this to be my life. So I got graduated with my broadcast journalism and communication degree, um, but I did not not accept any of my job offers to be a weekday reporter or a weekend weather reporter plus our weekend weather anchor and a weekday reporter. Much to my parents, like we just paid for four years for what? <laughs> because now you're not going to go do broadcast journalism. And then when I decided not to do broadcast journalism, I actually got my very first job out of college. I worked for a lobbying organization in Charlotte, North, 
Carolina, which is where I am still today. And I would work for a lobbying firm. I would eventually work for the Chamber of Commerce. I would work for our local magazine, Charlotte Magazine. So I constantly just went wherever I was recruited to. But I always knew that I wanted to own my own business. But for me, what I knew was owning a restaurant or being in the hospitality space. And I knew that is what I did not want. So for me, it was about, you know, it was understanding that in my 20s, I probably needed to learn some things so that I could actually figure out what did I want to have a business in. And, you know, it's interesting because you said you've been a business owner many times over. I actually was not awesome at it the very first time I started my first business. It actually failed after four years. I had to go back to corporate America before I started my business that I have now. And we're in our, I think it's our ninth year now. But so I definitely had to learn from the school of hard knocks through that process. Well, I'll tell you that you telling me that your first job was with a lobbying firm, okay? (laughs) That in and of itself tells me why and how you got to where you are today. Because if you can't convince people in that first corporate job you had, you're not going to be able to ever do it again. By the way, one other uh, ancillary commentary. When I went to high school, I thought my favorite subject was public speaking, and I'm glad I did that. But I never told my kids to take public speaking. I have three. And I... I never told them to get on the debate team. And now in retrospect, I think those are the two most critical courses you could ever take in high school, because regardless of what your final job is going to be, you're going to have to speak publicly to prove your point, and you're going to have to present an argument and defend it. Those are two, and no matter what you do, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a project manager, I think those two are essential skills. And that's probably how you got to be good at what you're doing now, how you can get referrals without being manipulative. Tell me a little bit more about your business now and how that all fits into place. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I always told my parents, you know, in the beginning, they were very disappointed that I wasn't going to do, I wasn't going to become the next Katie Couric, or at least just be in television because that's what they had paid for, right? That's what they, the assumption was. But we laugh about it because we're like, that was the best training ground for me to be able to do just about everything that I would go on to do in my career. The, the ability to stand on stage and be like, yeah, okay, it's a thousand people in the room. Okay, as long as I know what I'm talking about, like I'm not concerned. Like that is not something that everybody has. The ability to present, the ability to, to write, the ability to be able to think on your feet. I think those are a lot of the, the skills that I developed in speech and debate. And then in my broadcast journalism degree and actually my master's degree is in communication as well. So it just kind of continues that strengthening that muscle. Now, I wouldn't have a conversation with you about math right? Or the financials, right? Because that's not obviously what I love. But it is interesting how we are, we can get really good at strengthening in those in those areas of our lives where we figure out we have a knack for them. And it's interesting, you brought up the lobbying firm. The reason why I got hired there is because it was a lobbying um, agency for a local business in Charlotte, North Carolina, we did local and state, but it was in the hospitality industry. So they scooped me right up because they're like, Oh, she's works in restaurants. She knows all about this industry. And that was a great fit, an interesting world to be in. And when I was like, oh, I cannot run fast and far enough away from politics after that experience. Uh, But yes, definitely. And you know, and I look at everything that I've done and I always think it's funny because we think we have a path and then the path will never turn out usually the way that we intend for it to do. And I mean, I think about like, you know, thinking I was going to be, you know, broadcast journalism, you know, the next Katie Couric. And then getting my master's degree in communication and starting a business, an HR consulting firm where KPMG was one of my bigger clients, like starting a consulting firm and then having that business fail four years later, having to go back to corporate America, why I figured out what in the world I'm going to do, being in corporate America and then getting certified 
as a business and productivity coach, and then using that to start my second business. I look at everything that I've done. I'm like, it's direct. It's like, it's just directed me right to where I am today and the skills that I'm able to pull for from to being a business owner and to being a subject matter expert all come from that past and from that portfolio career, so to speak. And what really the reason why I have conversations with people and I teach people how to generate referrals without asking is because when I started my second business and it was like, well, I don't want to fail again. So let's figure out how to be successful with this. I realized that in my first business, I never received a single referral which meant I hustled entirely too hard for every client I did land. And as I was starting my second business, that productivity and business coaching practice, I was like, well, I want some referrals. I did like everybody else, right? You read the books, you go out on Google, you go through the trainings and everybody who's teaching referrals is teaching you to ask. And I'm like, I feel like they're ignoring the majority of us who don't want to ask. Is there not another way to get these referrals? And I guinea pigged on my own business in the first year. And, you know, when you have a business failure, that's always kind of like right there over your shoulder, like it motivates you in ways that I don't think I had with my first business to try different things and to be open to different things and try to reverse engineer how I can make things happen. And my first year as a productivity and business coach, I generated 112 referrals, none of which I asked for. And then my clients who were small business owners and solopreneurs started saying, how are you doing that? How'd you grow so fast? You're raising your rates. It's hard to get on your schedule for coaching. How? And I was like, well, I have all these referrals. So obviously it makes everything better. And they're like, thanks for your tips on productivity, like how to manage my inbox. But I would really like to learn how you're generating referrals and not asking for them. And so I started teaching that to my clients. And then as I taught it to them, it was very clear to me, oh, I have a system here. So I reversed engineered exactly what I was doing, started teaching it to them. They started having success. And then I went from teaching it one-on-one to actually doing it in an online program. And last year, we hit our ninth and 10th country where business owners around the world are actually in our program. It's called Growth by Referrals. But it is that ability for people to be like, hey, I don't want to ask, is there another way? And I'm like, yes, there actually is. There's still work involved. It's not like there's a silver bullet on either way. But it's that ability to say, I wanted to look at referrals differently for myself. And what I learned, I now just teach others how to do. You know, to your point there, um, many times you get referrals just because you're doing a good job of what you do. I am thankful to say that I have one business owner that I sold two businesses uh, for. She owned two different businesses. One was a daycare and one was a disability case management. I sold her twice. And then I have a buying client. Also, that bought a pet grooming store, and now she's. I'm helping her look for another one. So, if you're able to do your job very, very well, sometimes the referrals don't need the ask because they're satisfied with what you've done. So, sometimes that that works out well. Yeah, you know what I always tell folks is that. So, in that case, those are clients who loved working with you and became repeat clients, right? So they came back to work with you again because why in the world would they work with anyone else? They liked working with you. They wanted to come back. So I always tell folks, it's important to separate out our repeat clients from our referrals because a referral is actually when somebody else is going to put their reputation on the line to refer someone to you that is actually going to do business with you and spend money with you. And so it's important that we think about from that referral perspective, like if you're just getting some, that means you're referable, which is a very important like piece of the puzzle to get more referrals. But usually when people just get those sporadic random referrals, it puts them in a position and a place to just think, hey, if I don't want to ask, if I don't want to compensate, and if I don't want to be really promotional and gimmicky and cheesy, well, then my other option is just to hope. 
and wait around for those referrals and do really good work and hope that somebody will refer me. And I always tell folks, those are four options that you could pick from, but there's definitely a different option of where you can actually take care of the people who refer you, but at the same time, making sure that you are doing things that are helping you generate more referrals, but in a way that you're going to enjoy doing it. It's going to honor you. It's going to honor the person who's referring you. And you don't have to follow those like old school referral tactics like asking and paying. Right. So you can, can you give us a couple of examples on how some of these referrals can come without asking, without manipulating, and without feeling inauthentic? What Are there a couple of examples you can give the audience here on how that can be done with, of course, not giving away the store, so to speak? Right. So here's the number one thing I always tell folks. Let's make sure we understand the cast of characters that are within the referral process. There are three cast of characters. And the three characters are number one, you as a solution provider. Number two, the prospect, the person who's going to end up hiring you. And then number three, the referral source. Now, most of the time when I say these are our cast of characters, I'm like, who's most important? People always gravitate to saying the prospect, right? The prospect in that scenario is most important. And I always say that's the first place we have to flip our mindset. The most important person in a referral process is the referral source. Because when you're receiving a referral, you don't know who the prospect is until the referral source connects them with you. And depending on how well the referral source set you up, it also makes it easier for you to be able to effectively close that prospect into a new client. And those are all the important pieces that people kind of forget. Like, so if the hero of our cast of characters, that the hero is not the prospect and it's not you, even if you do an amazing job and if you will solve all the problems, it's the referral source. Well, that's the first step and the first focal point of the work that we do is maintaining that relationship with our referral sources. It is always amazing to me how many people I have conversations with. And I'm like, so tell me about the last referral you received. And, you know, some of them, they maybe got one a couple of weeks ago and other ones, it was a couple of months ago. Maybe for some, it was like maybe six months to a year ago. And I'm like, well, when you got that referral, no matter how soon it was, how close it was or how far back it was, what was the first thing you did? And I said, well, I reached out to the prospect. I'm like, why didn't we reach out to the referral source to say thank you? And they're like, I don't even think I ever said thank you. Or they'll say, well, I did say thank you. It was like in an email or a text. And I'm like, so it was quickly forgotten that you actually thanked them. I was like, it is important to follow up with the prospect, of course, right? But the relationship you have with the referral source is actually more important in that moment because they know other prospects that they can send to you. And you want to make sure you maintain that relationship with them. So the way that I teach it to folks is it's always about identifying who are your referral sources, who's referred you in the past, who's already put their reputation on the line and told somebody else to hire you. We start there. I mean, there's there's actually six layers to our overall referral strategy of what we need to be able to do and know how to do. But number one is we start by identifying like who are your referral sources. Then we create a plan to take care of them. And I don't mean your e-newsletter. And I don't mean you sending them a coffee mug with your logo on it because that's about you. And I don't mean you sending them a text message every 30 days because your online database told you, hey, you've talked to this person in 30 days. It's time to reach out. I mean, actually truly having a meaningful relationship with these people. But I also mean, let's say you have a group of 30 referral sources, or maybe you have 12 referral sources, or maybe you have three. I also don't mean that every single month you're going to spend time one-on-one with all 30 people or 12 people or three people. To have a meaningful relationship with your referral sources, it's more of a mixture of what you do, how often you do it, the variety of what you do, and then what you say while you're doing it. And it's those pieces that allow us to create a process or a plan 
that we can execute on for our referral sources. And we can do things that may be done in mass. I may do the same, we call it touch point. You can think about it as outreach. I may do the same outreach to all 30 of my referral sources, but it'll feel unique to them because what I'm doing is memorable and meaningful. It's not sending everybody, you know, the, the, the koozie or the coffee mug with my logo on it. It's not sending everybody my monthly newsletter. You can do those things, but they're not going to actually move the dial in terms of a relationship with a referral source to get more referrals. Well, I tell you, that's a powerful statement there. And it goes to show you that relationship building is very essential in many, many businesses. It's funny, the first day of my trans world training, and you would have thought that in a mergers and acquisitions business that you would have been taught numbers are key, uh, valuations are key. The first statement that the teacher, the, the, the at least a well-respected business broker who now teaches our staff how to be effective, he said, welcome to the relationship building business. First thing he said, and what you're saying is the same thing, is that relationships, how you do it, the communication that you do is critically essential for referrals to happen as well. My goodness, we could probably spend another hour and a half on this, but uh, I think we're approaching the end of our 20 or so minutes. What haven't we covered, uh, Stacey, that you need to, to tell the audience here? You know, I always tell folks, if you're really interested in figuring out if generating referrals without asking is the right thing for you, the number one place I would tell you to start is to identify who's referred you in the past. There is such power and empowerment in knowing the names of the humans that have referred you in the past. And sometimes you'll look at that list and you'll be surprised at how large it is, or you'll be a little concerned and maybe how small it is. Or maybe you'll look at that list of people and you'll say, wow, there's some people on this list. I didn't even remember that they've ever referred me in the last couple of years. And I sure as heck haven't talked to them in the last nine months to 12 months or maybe 18 months. I always tell folks like there is a process in the system to how to take your referral sources and to actually be able to generate more referrals from them. But before you can do any of that, you've got to know who these people are and going through the process. And I break it down in chapter eight of my book, but going through the process of identifying who your referral sources are is a very powerful moment of you recognizing who makes your life easier and maybe who you should start paying better and more attention to and using the right referral seed language with. So that would be the one thing I would tell folks, like that's where I would start is just figure out where your clients came from. And those clients that were referred to you, what's the name of the referral source and have that list and commit it to memory because that is your list of gold. And I would argue your business's biggest asset. Yeah. So you talk about you're a solopreneur, but you've got an army surrounding you. So they've all got to be outside people. Uh, mm -hmm. So it might be lawyers, accountants. What, what would be your typical army of team members? What kind of professionals are assisting you do what you do so well? Well, of course, I have an assistant. I mean, I don't think anybody actually lives without a virtual assistant in these days. Um, so I have a virtual assistant. Um, and then I have some, I, obviously, I have to have a personal relationship with the people who host my websites, uh, because my book has websites. And then I have my own Stacey Brown Reangel website that's like the all encompassing. And then the books have their own website. And so from that perspective, I, I can't just go with like a company that does have online support. Like I have to be able to talk to my website developer, uh, my hoster. And then of course, I have someone who helps with all the tech pieces behind my business of how, you know, when you come into my program, you get a username and password and that unlocks access to different things. And then you can go through it. And all that is managed by technology. So I definitely have a tech person who is versed in a couple of the 
specific systems that I use within my business, you know, my um, CRM, and then of course, how we, um, the, the WordPress plugin that we use to deliver our program as well. Um, that's, uh, that's probably the folks I work with the most, but also my podcast editor, because I do not edit my own podcast. And then of course, the design team that I work with that does all the design, whether it's the logos, whether it is the images, whether it's the, you know, the image for each individual podcast episode, there's also a design team that makes sure I have all the design needs as well. So there's, and, and then of course there's others, right? Of course I have a CPA, of course I have an attorney and those kind of things. I don't need them on a monthly or weekly basis like I do the others. Right. So last but not least, where do we go to find out more about Stacy? And more importantly, there are some assessments there that they can go to, to figure out how well they're doing it. Right. So they are yes. kind of like free assessments to get, you know, a, an initial, you know, you can figure out whether you do it well or not. So where can we go to get some of that information? Yeah. So home base for me is just my name, stacybrownrandall.com. Stacy is spelled with an E. So that is home base. You can find anything you need, um, including what you're talking about is what we call the referral ninja quiz. And the referral ninja quiz is a nine question quiz, assessment quiz, where you're going to actually answer questions about what you do now in your ability to generate referrals. And then it is going to calculate for you based on how you're performing and based on the actions you take and the mindset that you have, it's going to tell you what level of a referral ninja you are. Where I want you to land is at the master level. But unfortunately, only 2% of people actually land at that level when they take the quiz. And we've had thousands of people over the years take this quiz. And then, of course, the majority of folks, about 84 to 85% of folks, are going to land at the beginner level. And then, of course, once you take the quiz, it'll say, hey, this is your level. Here's what you need to do to close the gaps to move yourself towards a master. And then, of course, we have pay programs for people who are interested in, but also a lot of additional resources that are available through the book and the podcast and the articles on the website to help you close that gap to move you from a referral ninja beginner to a referral ninja master. You know, I got to believe that many people will probably be surprised with the end result after taking that quiz, because uh, we all think we're pretty good at what we do. And, and I'm not one to say that I am. I'm not. I'm always willing to take assessments like that and figure out how close I am to being as, uh, as perfect as I can be. You can never be perfect, but you can always improve for sure. So, well, Stacy, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. I thank you so much for sharing your insights. And uh, this referral program is, uh, is something more of us should be aware of. So thank you so much for that. I appreciate your time. And thank you listeners for joining us for another edition of Building Better Businesses. And we hope to see you again on another show. Thanks so much. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business.